Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Welcome back to At Your Service. Brad Young in with you until 10 o'clock. Hey, thanks for sticking around. We had a great first hour. We're going to have a great second hour. And what makes it great is you, your participation. So thank you for that. Lots of calls, lots of texts. Keep them coming. 314-436-7900. We had one Gentleman call in during the break. He didn't want to stick around, uh, but uh, but he asked a question. It wasn't on the topic that we were covering, but I want to address it before we get to anything else. Uh, his question was, why can't Governor Parson do something about Kim Gardner? Because everyone knows uh, Kim Gardner is a hot mess when it comes to her position as the circuit attorney. Uh, she's been in, in the last two weeks alone. Now, I didn't check today, so the number could be higher. But uh, in the last two weeks, there have been at least seven cases that have been either dismissed or uh, defendants have been acquitted solely and exclusively because of the incompetence of her office and not turning over what's called exculpatory evidence uh, to the defense attorneys. So seven defendants, seven people who committed crimes in St. Louis are walking free just in the last two weeks because of the incompetence of that office. So, yes, it is a problem. Everyone knows crime's the biggest problem for the city of St. Louis. What can Governor Parson do about it? That was the question from the caller. There's not much. I mean, first of all, let's start with the basics. Kim Gardner is an elected official. That position is an elected position. Uh, the last time she was she was reelected, she got 77% of the vote. So, uh Governor Parson can no more remove Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner from office uh, than he could remove Sam Page from office or Mayor Tashara Jones from office. Those are duly elected officials. So that's the, the easy answer. The, the slightly more complicated answer is this. Because of the ethics charges that she pled guilty to about uh, three to four weeks ago, her case now goes to the Missouri Supreme Court to decide whether or not her bar license should be suspended, disbarred, or she should simply be placed on probation with regard to the problems that she did 
uh, in connection with her attempts to prosecute Eric Greitens. So if the Missouri Supreme Court suspends her license or disbars her for any period of time, under Missouri law, she would be ineligible to continue working as the circuit attorney in the absence of a good standing status on her law license. And in that circumstance, under Missouri law, Governor Parson is empowered to appoint a replacement. So the answer to your question is, what can Governor Parson do? Well, only and exclusively only in a situation where the Missouri Supreme Court either suspends her law law license or disbars her, Governor Parson can appoint her replacement, who would then have to run for re-election because the circuit attorney's office is it's an official office. So uh, that's 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 the consequences of an election. Elections have consequences. Hey, before we in the next couple of minutes, uh, I want to I want to get to Matt Pajeski because uh, he's uh, he's looking fresh and tan from going to the game today. Sunburnt. Sun. Did you get out there with the scrum with the Cardinals? Oh, we yeah. out there on the field no, and I, I wish I was. It up? No, but I did sit in the in the sun for a little too long and. Knowing my pale ginger complexion, I shouldn't yep. have done that for for more than an hour, and I paid the price for it. My uh, my youngest daughter's a ginger, and yeah. she's my still <laughs> yeah, got to got to stay out of the sun. I, yeah. I understand it, but I got a question for you. And whenever I ask Matt these questions, the look on his face is always, "Oh, Brad, what are you going to ask me? <laughs> do, do you like Oreos? Love Oreos. Okay, and and Matt, whenever you get Oreos, do you sometimes like to twist them? You just no. you just consume them, just wolf them down. Yeah, maybe two bites at the max, like, and then they're gone. Yeah, that's it. I don't, okay. I don't, I don't need to dissect the Oreo, look at the inside, and maybe lick off the icing. I, yeah, that's just, a lot of work for a cookie. That's, too high maintenance, right? We just <laughs> yeah. got to get to eating the cookie, yeah, right? Exactly. Well, the reason why I'm asking is because uh, that that's me. I, I've got a box of Oreos. It's going to be an empty box. Yeah. Okay, that's just how it is. But MIT did a study, came out today. Studying about, you know, you've known people that twist those Oreos and then mm-hmm. they try to twist it to get the same amount of cream on each, each of the halves, yeah. right? So MIT created, they, they because it's MIT, it's everybody in there is like uh, Elon Musk and Tony Stark, yeah. right? So they built a contraption in order to gauge the torque that's used to spin the Oreo cookie. And they did thousands of tries to get it to where you could perfectly twist open an Oreo cookie. Wow. And in order to get the exact amount of icing on each side of the wafer. And they said it couldn't be done. It MIT be done. could not be done. And they said that because whenever in the process of making Oreos, the way that they make it is, is that the filling gets extruded on one side of the wafer and then the other wafer is pressed into it. So there's always going to be about a two-second period of time where the goo is attached to one wafer two seconds longer than it's attached to the other. Yeah, I, th- I think I, I've heard a similar thing. You know, if a, if a piece of paper is torn in half, you can't, you know, if, if, it's, if it's torn down the middle, you can't tear it into like three separate pieces. One side of the paper is always going to stay attached to the next side. It's hard, hard to explain. I'll show you. But okay. <laughs> I think that's what, it, what it's, uh, it's sounding similar to. But the takeaway from this story is, at least from my perspective, wouldn't you like to be in college where all you do is eat cookies and study Oreos? Yeah, I yeah. mean, wouldn't 
Wouldn't that make college fun? That would be. I gotta. I gotta imagine that's like the like maybe the stoners of MIT. They're like <laughs> the stoners. <laughs> they, they've got the smarts, but they also right. like want to apply that to the to the munchies they've got. Yeah, on four twenty day, this was a fantastic study, yeah. the Oreo yeah. cookie study, yeah. right? Yeah. So, but they built this entire contraption, and they called it an Oreo meter, and and I saw pictures of it. They printed it with a three D. Print, they printed it on a 3D printer to study the torque and to adjust the torque. I thought, you know, I didn't do anything fun like that when I was in college. Uh, and uh, maybe it's because I didn't go to MIT. <laughs> yeah. uh, that would that, that would have been fun. Hey, coming up after the break, we're going to talk to a computer expert, good friend of the show, Nick Powers, about can and will Russia start uh, exploiting their cyber prowess and start attacking the United States. And what does that mean? We we know what warfare means. If somebody fires a missile at you, uh, drives a tank across your border, but what does it look like to have cyber warfare, and what can we do to stop it? Brad Young here at your service, up next with Nick Powers on Camo X. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now with the mlb app you can get baseball your way pick your favorite team your favorite players and get customized highlights stories and breaking news right on your home feed Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. While war rages in Ukraine, America's cyber warriors are preparing for battle right here at home. 
Russia has threatened cyber warfare. We've seen it in the news, but what would that look like? And and if they do, are we prepared for this? So joining us, our good friend Nick Powers. He's vice president at Uncommon, a cyber technology consultant company based at Scott Air Force Base in O'Fallon, Illinois. Hey, Nick, great to talk to you again. Hey, great to be back, Brad. Uh, always enjoy discussing these issues with you, but let's start with the basics. We we all know what traditional warfare looks like. We're seeing it every day from Ukraine, but what would cyber warfare actually look like? Yeah, I mean, we've been seeing kind of what that would look like for the last couple of years now, Brad. Um, you know, the attacks that really started with solar winds a few years ago, the Russians kind of orchestrated the backdooring of a major software company that was responsible for the management of infrastructure for a lot of uh, thousands of companies and, and hundreds of agencies in the United States government. But also they've, you know, orchestrated attacks against uh, an oil and gas pipeline, at least, you know, the attributed group. And, uh, you know, we're seeing, you know, the results of years of them kind of building up these these cells of cyber uh, attack artists, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, that can take down a lot of different things. And, you know, we're starting to see the results of that. Hmm. Yes, we are. And how likely is it, Nick, that Russia could launch new attacks against the United States? And I guess in some respects, as you've already mentioned, is is this already even occurring? Yeah, I would say it's already occurring. They're probing us. Uh, I know as Ukraine spun up, um, you know, us being a defense contractor, we saw a 15,000% increase in, in probes of our network. Um, say say that again. You saw how much 15, of an increase? Fifteen thousand percent. We're not like on everybody's radar, but you know, all of a sudden, within a two-week span of uh, the war of U- Ukraine kind of spinning up, we saw significant activity coming against our, you know, our networks. And you know, I can only imagine what it's like for the banks and the financial institutions, the medical institutions, the infrastructure institutions across America. I'm sure of, are seeing those types of uh, of you know increases in probes and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, or at least I hope they are seeing those, because if they're not seeing those those types of things, then they might already be in their networks. Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem if you're not detecting the increase. Uh, for all of history, I, I love studying history and the history of military warfare, and, and there's always been this understanding about uh, when military actions go too far to such an extent that it then requires a response from the defending country. But with with cyber warfare, are there any real developed standards and practices to indicate what's you know, too far? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, when we saw the pipeline get taken down, there was actually a response online of, of several hacking groups kind of calling each other out. And there was a little bit of an unwritten rule of, you know, we won't do, we won't go so far. We won't take down a critical infrastructure or thing that could harm people like, like an electrical grid or something like that. But, I would say that's all a bunch of, you know, horse pocky because, you know, we've seen them attack hospitals. We've seen them mm-hmm. attack law enforcement. We've seen attacks against all sorts of different types of schools. I mean, there really isn't a an off-limits organization in my mind. I think it's I think anything's possible at this point for sure. Right, but are we still in that stage, Nick, where we're developing these standards where if if someone, uh, you know, attacks a grocery store, uh, there's not going to require a governmental response, but if you take down uh, the the ability to transport oil across the country and shut down gas stations or refineries, that's too far. Are we still, as a country, 
exploring and dis- determining uh, what those red lines are. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting is, you know, as the Biden administration's escalated the need for cyber protection across all industries, especially the, the 16 critical infrastructure industries that they he talked about in a meeting with President Putin, um, you know, one of the things that everybody's been asking is, what are the ground rules for these attacks? What what constitutes an attack? What constitutes a, a proper response? And one thing that's been interesting is the lack of definition of what that is, right? I mean, there's been things that defined for years now what a war crime is and so on and so forth and what should and shouldn't be done. And, you know, when you're in war with somebody, you know, chemical weapons are off limits and so on and so forth. But none of those types of guidelines or standards have been established right now. Hmm. We're talking to Nick Powers. He's the vice president at Uncommon. It's a cyber technology consulting company based at Scott Air Force Base uh, right here in O'Fallon, Illinois. And, Nick, uh, we, we've kind of touched on this. And, and in the event that we would see a substantial increase of cyber warfare activities against the United States, what type of options would President Biden have in that scenario in terms of our response? You know, so it's kind of interesting, Brad. There is actually fairly decent amount of content available to read through. Um, there's been a lot of studies on what the United States might do, and in some cases, military institutions have published what a potential scenario would look like if we did get attacked. And what I would say is, in generalities, what you would see is, number one is, cyber attacks are typically done by a nefarious organization that, you know, typically out of the gate, you're not going to know who did it. And so to quickly react and say, was this particular party responsible for that? You will need some forensic data to back that up, and it's going to take a little bit before you can get that. So if there was an attack, what I would see is the forensic collection of data. Um, There would be an analysis of that data. The probabilities would be weighed. And I think you're going to see more sanctions. You potentially could see other types of diplomatic solutions levied but I don't think you're going to see a direct counterattack, at least not one that we would know about. So you're suggesting that there would be some, there would be a public response that would be diplomatic or sanctions or something that would be publicly acknowledged, but there could, could also, and I stress the word could, there could also be responses that we might never hear about or see uh, because those are being done behind the scenes. Yeah, typically. I mean, let's go back a number of years to Suxnet. Yes, wow. Um, the United States government was able to coordinate with their allies the ability to get gain physical access to a nuclear power plant in, in Iran, and they loaded some malware into their systems, and was, it was able to create some damage for them, right? Um, you know, to this day, we don't own up to that. Uh, but it took many it took many a month to figure out what exactly had happened in that space for them to even start thinking that it had anything to do with the United States. So. You know, those are the types of counterattacks that you could potentially see, something that you wouldn't know about for a number of years. But at the same time, like I said, the the chance that we would escalate something like that against a nuclear power such as like Russia, I think we're going to be very cautious. We've already seen a lot of caution and deliberate nature coming out of the administration. I, I don't see any reason why that would change. Hmm. We're talking to uh, Nick Powers, vice president at Uncommon, a cyber technology consulting company based at Scott Air Force Base. Uh, I've seen various rankings, Nick, on the most powerful cyber nations. And on every list, the U.S., Russia, and China are always in the mix in terms of the top five. Uh, But does the U.S. Cyber Command 
in your perspective, and of course, I'm not asking you to disclose any any information that's uh, top secret of any kind, but does the U.S. Cyber Command have the tools and the skills and, and even the personnel necessary to respond in kind if we do see uh, a significant uptick in Russian cyber attack activity? So, so Brad, it's interesting, you know, when you talk about the top five, those are the countries spending the most money on cyber training and warfare and that type of thing, right? So, you know, it's obvious where you spend the money and you put the training in and you develop the systems, that's where you're going to see the most benefit. And the United States has been doing that for, you know, a number of years now. It goes back all the way to, you know, even President Bush, uh, the second President Bush prior to Obama. Obama made it better. Even President Trump put some things in place with Cybercom to really get us on a different type of footing. And so you've seen this really deliberate investment development of capabilities. We have these things called cyber protection teams. We now have the Cyber Command. You know, there's a lot of investments. Uh, the CISA organization that was created by Congress. So a lot of investment, a lot of time and energy. And I think we are really well positioned to protect our assets. But, you know, at the end of the day, the majority of United States assets are privately owned. And they're not controlled by the government. And so a lot of damage can be done, you know, uh, you know, just by going after private industry. And so, you know, therein lies the question is, you know, these state-owned industries like Russia has a lot of state-owned or, you know, allegedly state-owned industries, you know, are they a little bit maybe better protected because they're able to put military people in place to help run those? It's it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Recent study came out and said we're number one. So I don't, I don't know what else to tell you, Brad, other than uh, I do Good. believe that we are – very, very uh, well equipped to uh, to you know perform well in in a, in a bad scenario. Well, let's bring this discussion down to a more practical level, Nick. Uh, any increase of cyber activity can obviously have enormous impact on regular individuals and and even local businesses. So, how can folks prepare on an individual basis or on a corporate basis to project the best defense possible against hacking or even digital intrusion? Yeah, so I mean, like you said, it's a there's a wide range there, right? As a small business owner, I don't have the money to buy advanced, you know, uh, cyber detection tools like a SIM platform, or you know, even going as far as getting a, an XOR or a SOAR platform and putting that together. So, you know, as a small business owner, I'm looking at doing a couple of things. Number one is I'm making sure that I don't click on weird emails. I'm not uh, allowing emails to tell me you know, to, to basically provide me links that I click on. And I'm also informing myself and my staff about the threats by looking at different websites like the, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, so CISA.gov is a great place to find a lot of information about what, what threats exist for my industry. And I'm also telling my people to be careful in social, social uh, you know, networks, social media, you know, Facebooks, the LinkedIn's, all that stuff. Those are all great places for someone to, to convince somebody to give them their credentials or, mm-hmm. or find out ways of getting their passwords. So that's that's where I would start is with a small business. And then the larger businesses are putting in great tools now. I mean, we're helping large companies in St. Louis right now put in some amazing cybersecurity detection tools that really look at behavior. And, and basically, it, it, they, they, I guess you could say, learn from the behavior of the network to be able to tell you when something's weird or something's out of sorts. And then you have these uh, security operation centers being stood up in these large companies that actually are humans sitting there looking at these patterns and saying, oh, that's that's off. I should go look at that. And if they see something, they can immediately take action. So yeah. aren't those there's a called, number of things to do. Aren't those called heuristic algorithms? 
yeah, yeah. They use heuristic algorithms. You know, in some cases, other times there there are other types of algorithms. But yeah, for sure. Well, people often think, and I have these kind of discussions with lots of folks, but people think that if they're just running virus protection software, that they're fully covered, and yet uh, regular virus protection software would never detect a say a VPN incursion into a corporate server until long after the damage is already done. So is that why folks like you are, are really a necessary component rather than just you know, installing and activating uh, Microsoft Defender on your, on your Windows-based network? Yes, it's becoming more and more of a – you have to be able to integrate controls across your business. And then those, that integration is, is really the, the funneling of data into a central repository that monitors – for any type of nefarious activities so you can get that detection because, you know, like you said, if someone, for instance, got credentials to a VPN or a firewall, next thing you know, they're in the network and they're an advanced persistent threat. And so it's it's really important that companies take this very seriously. It's very hard to monitor. Like if you think about it, I use an analogy in the past, Bush Stadium, right? There's a million entrances into Bush Stadium. That's the same way in these large businesses. How are you going to manage monitoring every single entrance into Bush Stadium? You need help, and that's why we have these advanced tools now to be able to help you monitor all those ins and outs so you can detect if someone is coming in that you don't want to be in the network. Well, Nick Powers, you're the vice president at Uncommon. How can people reach out to you if they have uh, questions or need some assistance? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're in St. Louis, we're in Denver, we're in uh, Dayton, Ohio, uh, but we also do work nationally, and you can you can find us at www.uncommon.com. That's U-N-C-O-M-N.com. Thanks, Brad. Hey, Nick, great to talk to you as always, my friend. Uh, Take care. Boy, it's a joy to talk to Nick Powers because uh, he knows this stuff in and out. And uh, and he broke it down exactly what we have to uh, to be watching for if Russia does step up cyber attacks. Hey, coming up after the break, uh, we're going to talk about President Biden is as of literally today is seriously considering canceling all student loans. And I'm going to break that down about, is that fair? Should he do it? What are the ramifications? And is it the right thing to do or not? To me, it seems it's the wrong thing to do. I'll tell you why, but listen, if you disagree, as always, would love to hear your thoughts. 314-436-7900, student loan debt forgiveness, yes or no, next on X. Welcome back to At Your Service. Uh, Student debt loans. I just talked about that before the break. President Biden is, uh, at least according to today, according to House Democrats, he has signaled that he is seriously considering taking action to forgive student loan debt on a large, massive scale. One of the proposals floated out by uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer would be to forgive all student loans up to $50,000 per student borrower or per adult borrower if they was borrowed for student loans. Up to $50,000 would just be gone, eliminated. And I I ran some numbers, and right now the current federal student debt is $1.6 trillion. Now look at the kind of money that the government is spending through COVID, after COVID, we're running deficits right now. The, the national debt 
is over $29 trillion, $29 trillion. And the federal government is considering just wiping off student loan debt. Is that fair? Now, I don't think it is, and I've got a number of reasons for that. But do you, but do you think it's fair if you didn't take out any student loans that the government's just going to wipe them out? Or if you worked hard to put your student through school, uh, is it okay that somebody else borrows their way through and gets those debts just forgiven? Is that something that's intrinsically fair or even economically feasible? 314-436-7900. Would love to hear your thoughts on this. And, and I've got about four reasons here as to why I think this is just a colossally bad idea. Because first and foremost, if President Biden does this, this is simply an abuse of the loan system. I mean, what happened to the concept of personal responsibility? You took out the loans, pal. Why do you not have to pay them back? I, that, I don't understand that. That's like going to the store, buying your groceries and saying, listen, I want you to comp these for me. I want you to comp them for me. Even though, yeah, I needed them and I took them out and I wanted them. Listen, I want you to just to, you know reimburse my money for my groceries. What happened to personal responsibility when it comes to simply just forgiving this massive loan debt? Uh, Debbie's holding. Hey, Debbie, welcome to KMOX. Hi. Yes. Hey, you're on. What's going on this evening? Well, I don't think that they should completely do away with student loan debt for everyone for all the numerous unfair reasons, but they could certainly do something about the interest rates. Hey, now see, on that point, you and I can completely agree, because if you wanted to reduce the interest rate, that that doesn't eat into any of my arguments against student loans. And it would actually be a break, particularly now that interest rates are going sky high. That's a fantastic idea. And I just so you know, I have three three sons with student loan debt, but I still don't think it's fair when. You know, other people have worked hard and other parents have worked very hard. So, Exactly. Well, Debbie, we're in complete agreement. Thanks for calling in this evening. Uh-huh. Thank you. Appreciate Bye-bye. it. Uh, Mary's been holding. Hey, Mary, welcome to Camo X. Hi. I was basically saying what she was saying. You know, we have three <laughs> children. Yeah. We put them, they were all, three of them were in college at the same time. Oh, we my had a goodness, lot of, Mary. We, we had a lot of debt, but we also started saving from the sure. time they were born. We put $25 a week away towards college. So when they graduated, they started off at junior colleges because it was cheaper, and they applied for all the grants and things they could yep. get. They graduated with very little student debt. Did they inv- Did mm. they graduate from a $50,000 a year university? No. No. But... They put in, they got out what they put in, and they all did very well. My problem is with the the people who never even tried to go to college because they knew they couldn't afford it. And now they're going to see that, gosh, I could have gone and racked up some debt, and the government would have bailed me out. It's, I think it's a slap in the face to the people who truly worked hard for mm-hmm. it or who would have liked it but couldn't see it in their future. Uh, but there are so many programs today that if you 
come from a home uh, that is a very low-income home, there are so many programs today, Mary, that students, even if you got uh, uh, government assistance to go to a community college or to a public university, not a private university, there is so much money out there today that it would be hard to find a student, I think, it would be hard to find any student today that, that says, I come from an impoverished home, uh, I want to go to college, and there's no money out there for me. I think that would be a hard thing to find, given the billions of dollars that are out there to help kids in that very situation. Right. The key is they need somebody to guide them through that po- process. Right. And there are certainly programs at schools to do that. But but when you get back to the student loan issue, Mary, you worked hard. You you made sacrifices to get three kids through college. Uh, the kids made sacrifices. They didn't go to Harvard or Yale or Princeton. They went to mm-hmm. other universities. And does it seem fair that be- you worked hard, but if these other kids go to school to get a basket weaving degree and they run up $45,000 in debt, they get that forgiven when you worked hard to make sure that the kid, your kids got an education, that doesn't seem fair, does it? No, it doesn't. It does not. And uh, and I am very glad you called in this evening. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. Uh, hey, we're going to have to take a short break here. Uh, when we come back, more of your calls. We've got folks calling in. We've got texts coming on here. 314-436-7900 at your service. KMOX. Best text of the evening. If your college degree doesn't have enough value for you to pay it off, it certainly doesn't have enough value for me to pay it off. Best text of the evening. 314-436-7900. Bill is going to weigh in on this. What say you, Bill? Well, one of my biggest complaints about the uh, efforts to pay the loan debts off for people is that how much of the money that I personally know of has been spent on things other than education, like cars and vacations and stereo systems and guitars. And mm-hmm. I don't know how many people I know that my son went to college were using their student loans to go to spring break. And he was always mad because he couldn't go. But <laughs> even you know, right there on your radio station, Dave Glover has talked often about how he spent his uh, student loan money. Yeah, and so now students who who went down to Florida and partied with uh, adult beverages, and now it's going to be your tax dollars and my tax dollars paying off that kid's bar bill at some beach bar uh, in Melbourne, Florida. Exactly, and I couldn't afford to send, not that I would have anyway, but my son on spring break, but I'm going to pay for somebody else's kid who at the same time went down there and, and did the same thing. Exactly. Hey, Bill, thanks for calling in this evening on X. No problem. Appreciate it. Dan, you've been holding a very long time, sir. Welcome to X. Hey, how's it going? It's going great. So my biggest thing on this is I never went to college. I, I'm a tradesman. I work with my hands. I bust my ass every day. And I'm noticing now in the trades, the generation coming up, no one wants to work everyone is getting used to everything being handed to them so if they don't learn to work and make the money 
to provide to go to school to better their future. We're just enabling the laziness that our country is becoming. Exactly. Yeah, there's 11, as of the end, or rather the beginning of April, I haven't looked up the numbers since the first week of April, but there were 11.3 million jobs open and available in America, which highlights exactly what you are, are pointing at here, Dan, which is if you need a job and you've got a pulse, you can go get a job today. But the the kicker to that is everyone on social media is talking about how they need money, they need a job, they need this, and they're wanting someone to feel sorry for them, give them a pity story, and give them something instead of going out and working and achieving what they want. Exactly. Exactly. Because you did it. You worked hard. Nobody gave you anything. I mean, I got I got a college savings fund for all three of my kids. I'm wow. I'm 30 years old. I have college for them when they become the age if they want to use it to get a vehicle and then work to pay off their college. That's on them if they want to use the money sure. to go to college so they're not in debt because a college student doesn't need a vehicle. For I mean, they're on campus. Everything they need is on campus. Grocery store restaurants, friends, uh, yeah, rec center, social events, everything. everything is on campus. So they don't need a vehicle. But if they decide they want a vehicle, that's what the money's for. It's for what they decide. Do they want to be in debt now with a vehicle or do they want to go and not be in debt and use their degree that we helped pay with, not not pay for, but helped pay with? Correct. Big difference. It, and use that so they're not as far in debt to where they can succeed faster in life. Because I don't know how many, I, I try to not live in debt, uh, but it seems like everyone else just pays a credit card with another credit card with another credit card. With I another know. Credit That's card. what we see, Dan. Hey, we're going to have to wrap this up because we're coming up on a break. But uh, Dan, hey, thanks so much for calling in this evening. Yes, sir. Have a good one. Great to talk to you, and thanks for listening to Camo X. There's even a bigger issue here, and the bigger issue is fairness because 40% of all student loan debt are advanced degrees, lawyers, doctors. 40% of that, $1.6 trillion, are people who have the ability to pay it off. So why should taxpayers incur the debt to pay off student loans of someone who went to law school? of someone who went to medical school. That's absurd. That's crazy. And so for all of the reasons we've talked about tonight, in addition to it's not fair and you're simply transferring your bad decisions onto the, someone else and it lacks all the personal responsibility, but it's a, it's, it is unfair even from a financial perspective to make taxpayers pay off the student loans of doctors and lawyers. Can we just agree that this is really just an example of trying to buy votes. That's really all it is. It's trying to buy votes. Years ago, when I say years ago, I mean like in the 1800s, uh, you know, back when, uh, you know, back when Kevin Colleen was a kid, back in the 1800s, <laughs> uh, the, the, there was something where 
people would give you a bottle of whiskey if you had promised to vote for a certain candidate. Uh, and that was banned. You can't do that, right? But how is this any different than giving people a bottle of whiskey for a vote? You're basically saying, we're going to cancel your student debt in exchange for you voting for Democrats in the 2022 midterm election. And of that $1.6 trillion, you and I and our kids and our grandkids are going to be stuck paying that off for generations to come. Brad Young here with you this evening on At Your Service. Uh, I should be back in about two weeks right here on Camo X 1120. Hey, stick around. We've got the Dave Glover Show coming up next on Camo X. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.